Welcome to the Real Talk Podcast. This is your host, Dave Gregory. I have been asked to do a podcast. Anytime I stop doing a podcast, people are like, yo, why don't you do a podcast? And I'm like, you know what? Let me go ahead and do a podcast. But I haven't found what I wanted to do a podcast on until now. I actually found what I really want to do a podcast on. I know I'm sounding redundant, but this is the Real Talk Podcast where we talk about movies because movies is a passion of mine. <clears throat> okay, so started focusing on acting when I was looking for money when I was living in Nashville pursuing a career as a Christian music artist. I know it's a lot to say, but like I was living with some people and I'm like, you know what? I need to get a job. And I don't know how I found it. I must've been on like Craigslist or something like that. It's like, Hey, you ever thought about being in a movie? And I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to. Cause I remember when I was fresh out of high school, my buddy got me a meeting with an agent and it turned out to be a scam anyways. So I was like, yeah, I've always kind of wanted to be an actor. I've always loved movies and I've always been the animated person. Like, yeah, I'm totally down. So I landed this movie called A Pure Country Gift to this star, Katrina Alam. She's a music, uh, country music star. And it was directed by Chris Kane, Christopher Kane, the father of Dean Kane. And I was completely enamored with what I saw on set. Like, I was like, this is it. Like, when you think in your head what it looks like on set, having never, let's say if you've never been on set and you're like, you know, what does it look like being on a movie set? And you're thinking like, you know, you got people with the headphones, uh, with the speaker, you know, the headphones, the microphones, they got cargo shorts and all of that stuff. All of the cliches and tropes that you think of in background like behind the scenes is what was going on. You know, I just didn't see somebody with a bullhorn or the director with that weird chapeau or beret that they wear and stuff. But other than that, it was pretty much what you, what you would see a television per uh, a television show showing what behind the scenes could look like, you know? Um, like I said, it started in Nashville and I did this movie. And right after I did this movie, I actually ended up getting, um, an agent. And that's when I learned about headshots and I got headshots from this photographer. It was, they were not good. I just didn't know about how I wanted my image to be portrayed because again, I was, I was new, you know, I was really new. Oh God, it's stupid thing. Okay. Anyways. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 I did that. And then when I signed with an agent, I started getting auditions and I landed a really huge audition for this TV show called Tough Trades. Uh, it had Trace Atkins and Lucas Black and it was actually produced by Jinji Kohan, the producer of Orange is the New Black. And I had only known about her from Weeds and I actually got to audition in front of her after the third time I was called back. So that was really cool. Like I got callbacks and it was, it was a really fun experience. And after a while, I didn't think that Nashville was a good place for me to land movies. So I actually ended up moving back to Florida, back to 
where uh, my family is. And I started going to film school in Miami. And I was also acting. You know, I started doing, you know, background roles on Burn Notice. Uh, what's the other movie? The Glades. And I landed my first principal role in this independent film called Let Yourself Be Heard. It's a movie about this couple who they don't feel that their relationship is tight enough because they haven't farted in front of each other. It's really stupid, but that was essentially it. And I liked it because I was paired up with this really hot chick and she was cool, but she started tripping about the farting. Like she was like, oh, I'm so... She she was like ashamed of the film because, you know, I figured she thought it would affect her dating life. I, I get it. I get it. You know, but it's a movie like no guy's going to be like, dude, I'm not going to date a girl who acted like she farted. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. It was it was ridiculous. Anyways, I did a few film festivals, uh, started writing and producing my own work, and I decided to move to Los Angeles. I quit film school. It was just too expensive. Like I was commuting to Miami either by my car or train. And I also had to pay like $400 a month to go to school after, uh, after, what do you call that thing? FAFSA, you know, the app, you know, loans and stuff like that. And I was just like, you know what, this is, this is not worth it. Let me get some real world experience. So I moved to Los Angeles and I did a showcase and had the rare opportunity to choose among 12 agents and managers and I had meetings with a bunch of them and I signed with this agent or this manager. Uh, I don't know what it was. I think she just had like the best sales pitch. The one that I thought I was going to sign with, she wanted me to, she wanted to play me like really old, but the one thing she did have going is she had a connection with William Morris. If you know anything about the industry, William Morris is one of the top six most powerful agents in the world, like the agencies in the world, William Morris Endeavor. So I was like, you know, um, I, I was like, cause I had this idea. I was like, let me just play young. And I was like, just get work, dude. Don't worry about this whole thing. Cause you hear these, these, uh, th these opinions from people they are like, Hey man, you don't want to play too old or you don't want to get caught in a niche. And I was like, dude, your job is to get work. Like Hollywood's a very hard place to get in. If you, you need to get in the way you can get in. And if you're truly talented enough, you will break out of whatever box that they put you in once you get yourself established with working, you know? So my ego was in the way, unfortunately. So I signed with the wrong manager and she actually had me signed with an agent that wasn't interested in me. One of the agents that weren't interested in me. And when I went in there, the first thing I said was like, hey man, you look like a stand-up comedian. And I was like, not against it because I wanted to be a serious actor. I wanted to be like, you know, you know, like the thick dude that was a leading actor because I had the grit and all this, you know, I was just like, dude, be you, you know, like be you. And I didn't think about it, you know, so I did several auditions for them, you know, for a bunch of TV shows for ABC, NBC, Warner Brothers. I mean, like, I can't even count how many TV shows I auditioned for. Uh, I didn't land anything. And after about six months, 
they dropped me. And it wasn't necessarily because I didn't land anything. It was more so because my agent had an issue with one of her clients in there. And it was so as a result, they dropped all of her clients and I suffered that. So they dropped me and literally right after they dropped me, I landed a national commercial for Bud Light in this uh, Super Bowl commercial. It was, um, I think, 2012 or 2013. Yeah, it was 2013 Super Bowl. So landed that commercial and I landed another commercial for JCPenney. And then I landed another commercial for uh, car insurance. And so I landed three commercials like in a row. And it was like, oh, OK, so I can be booked. I can book things. So it it was. Yeah, it, it's 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 kind of like a crapshoot. It's luck. It's what they're looking for. You know, has nothing to do with you as a performer, has everything to do with what they're looking for. So, yeah, I, you know, landed those three commercials. And at that point, I was like, you know, what? let me go ahead and look into doing stand up. I respected the game of stand up. So I said, let me get into a writing class so I can understand. Because, like, yeah, I'm naturally funny, you know, like among my friends, you know, I'm the funny guy. But there's a difference between, you know, being funny with your friends and like doing stand-up and performing i was like these people don't care about me how can i wrap them in so i had to learn how to write a joke so i i i went to uh took a class and learned how to you know learn comedy writing and it was a very useful skill that i learned and and i met a lot of people along the way and i had been doing stand-up i got more into stand-up than i got into acting you know and i wanted to and I actually got more access to the industry through stand-up. Like, I met a lot of celebrities, became friends with a lot of celebrities. Hell, sometimes uh, there was a celebrity that recognized me. I'm like, they're like, yeah, man, I saw you at this other... I'm like, oh, snap, you recognize... I was like, that's cool. So it was it was really dope because it, it showed me that, yeah, this is where I need to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. And um, however... I let it consume my life. There was a time where I was doing stand-up, no lie, seven days a week. Minimum, I would go up three times a day. Minimum. So, you know, I would try to get in, you know, three three to five, six spots. I think my, my record was like seven. I did seven spots in one day, and I was like on a Saturday. And... I mean, I was just really worked out, like, like so sharp, you know, and there's just something about that. But it it's also not good because after a while you start playing to the back of the room, meaning that you you become like a comics comic. You're just trying to make other comics laugh and not trying to make people laugh that are regular audience members that come to pay watch and watch you. And I always hated that. I was like, let me not do that because you know, you don't want to be like, oh, this guy is a hack. You know, this is hack. This is not, you know, it's like, you, you know, they got these people. Oh, you got to write smart comedy. Everybody's got to be like a Patton Oswald or Louis C.K. Everybody wanted to be that. They People weren't trying to be themselves and be funny. And I was like, you know what? I need to be myself and be funny. Not this whole trying to write smart material. If it comes, it comes. I'm not going to push myself to write something 
that's so intellectual and then it just bombs, you know? So let me just write something funny. Let me be true to myself. So uh, I did that and I was really getting into it until I got really sick. I ended up going on dialysis and I lost a majority of my vision. Um, I had approximately like 20 surgeries. I mean, all over. And my life changed like, like dramatically, seemingly overnight. All of a sudden, I wasn't able to drive. I had to depend on people, and I lost a lot of friends through the the um through the process. And like, it was very painful. And I ended up having to move back with my family, which was very humbling because I was like, you know, I was on my way, and I can't believe this happened. This is so sad. And so after I finally got over <laughs> all of that, um, I was also going to therapy. I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar depression, so which which I was happy about because it helped me realize what was wrong because I know I knew there was always something wrong with me. I didn't know what it was. I was like, why? Like, what's going on with me? And so, uh, you know, I, that that helped out a lot. I, that helped out. A lot, a lot. So there was some blessings that came with uh, this sickness, getting sick. So I moved back to with my family in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm just looking for things to do. I think I want to do software sales because I saw something about software sales. And I was like, yeah, they make good money. And I used to sell bookstore to door. So if I can sell bookstore to door, I can damn sure sell software. So I looked into that. I was like, no, nah, this is not me. Then I looked into software development. I swore up and down I was a software engineer. Like I was just like I was I even put the title on my Twitter as software engineer. I had a GitHub account I didn't even know how to use. I was on LinkedIn. I was just being extra, you know. And so I took a class. I actually went to the uh, WASU, the Steve Wozniak school. And it just wasn't me. I was like, this is not me, you know, especially with the low vision. It's just I was like, I, I don't like this. This is not me. And software engineering is not for everyone. Straight up. It is not for everyone. You have to really like looking at a screen with numbers and letters and symbols all day to to know that those are going to equal images and widgets and functions later on and it's just something it takes a certain personality and that just wasn't me so i stopped that and <clears throat> i went to another school for software engineering and while i was in that school i was like why don't you just go to film school dude why are you wasting your time with this you know this is not your passion go to film school and so i i i just I just went, I, it's like, you know what, let me just do that. I, so I went to film school. I'm in film school now, and I am loving it. I'm in film history, and I'm just uh, really learning a lot. And I I can't tell you how I'm so glad that I finally made the choice to go back to film school. Because I was in film school, you know, back in 2010. That was a long time ago. And now <clears throat> I'm back to... Uh, Back in film school, I'm going to Full Sail University online. I'm doing digital cinematography. Um, I wanted to do, you know, in person, but, you know, I can't afford rent and everything like that. But yeah, so anyways, 
Thank you for listening to my story and welcome to the Real Talk podcast where I talk about movies. So I figured the first thing I would talk about today are my top 10 directors. And this is in no particular order. So it's not like from worst to best. They're just all my some of my favorites. So uh, again, Steven Spielberg, you know, Steven Spielberg started the blockbuster I, the whole blockbuster phenomenon with Jaws. Jaws was the first blockbuster ever made. And ever since then, directors have been trying to do blockbusters. And before then, summertime was a dead time for the movies. Movies were more done in the wintertime. But now having Jaws as this huge blockbuster, you know, everybody wants to have a summer movie. And he also created the PG-13 rating because of... Uh, Temple of Doom. He wanted Temple of Doom to be able to be seen by more people because they were going to give it an R rating because it's pretty, it's pretty insane. You know, when you look at Temple of Doom, they're eating monkey brains. And yeah, it's, I remember seeing it as a kid and just being kind of like, oh, this is disturbing, you know? But yeah, um, Steven, uh, E.T., another great film by, by Steven Spielberg. And what I love about Steven Spielberg is that he's one of the directors that he just has an eye and for quality, you know, like I respect a majority of his films, you know, I don't like all of his films just cause you know, you're not going to like everything somebody does. Well, okay. I'll take that back. No, no, that's true. So yeah, it's, you know, like there's some movies that, that are just like a little too rough for me. Uh, like Schindler's list. I think, these movies I saw when I was too young, so they kind of traumatized me. Schindler's List, uh, Saving Private Ryan, um, you know, they were just kind of like, it, it just, they traumatized me, honestly, you know, but it just shows you how good of a director he is. And um, I also learned that he low key directed Poltergeist. I know he's the producer, but he had a lot of control over that film. Anyways, he's, he's one of my favorite directors. Uh, I like his use of, the wide angle. He's a wide angle guy. You know, that's just something that he really utilizes a lot. Another guy on the list is Richard Donner. This is the lethal weapon dude. Also did Goonies. Um, uh, also did Superman um, with, you know, the, the Christopher um, Reeves Superman. And this guy shaped a lot of my influence for action films. I can tell you that he's one of the reasons why I wanted to be an action film director or director in general. Richard Donner, you know, may he rest in peace, you know, classic, classic. Martin Scorsese. My first introduction to Martin Scorsese uh, was in middle school. My friend gave me this thick two- cassette tape VHS called Casino. And I watched this movie and was like, wow, this is crazy. It has Sharon Stone, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, James Woods. I mean, it is an incredible classic film. I think it's loosely based on actual events. And the cinematography is just wonderful. Just the, the choices they use for um, the clothing, you know. And Joe Pesci is a real asshole in this film. 
I mean, oh my God, this dude is so grimy. He sleeps with Robert De Niro's wife and Robert De Niro's character is like in love with Sharon Stone, who is a prostitute for this James Wood drug dealer. And I mean, it's so emotionally great. And um, so I, I even got into like Taxi Driver I used to own Taxi Driver when I was collecting DVDs. Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, uh, Cape Fear is another classic film. Robert De Niro is such a masterful at being, such a master at being a good villain. You know, like when you look at The Fan or This Boy's Life, he can really be an asshole that you just want to like choke him. You're like, nigga, just, ah. But he's just a, just a great actor, man. You know, like I, I, I think he's wonderful, man. Um, and, but yeah, uh, Martin Scorsese, man, I, I, I like a majority of his films. Gang of New York, I surprisingly like. I don't like period pieces, but I actually like that one. Uh, the Aviator was a little weak for me. I, I, didn't, I wasn't too crazy about that. Um, it reminded me too much of Boz Lerman. Not against, nothing against Boz Lerman, but like, um, you know, I like Boz Lerman. I, I especially love Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet's Boz Lerman, but, it was like it reminded me too much of that for some reason. There was something about it, you know, and there was something a little cartoonish about uh, the aviator that really didn't appeal to me. You know, I still have not watched Shutter Island all the way through. I think it's because somebody spoiled it for me, but I still need to watch that. Um, uh, the Departed, uh, it was cool, you know, and um, I think. Uh, what what else has he done that I, that I, I can't think of anything else? But yeah, he's definitely a you know dude on my list. James Cameron, James Cameron directed my all time favorite movie, which is Terminator Two. Um, my only gripe with him is that he hasn't done a lot of directing, but he's done a lot of writing. I learned that he actually did a lot of writing for First Blood, uh, that's the Rambo film, and a lot of you know producing and assaulting, but. He is a huge visionary. You know, the guy has elevated or raised the bar in filmmaking so much with what he's done. When you think of Terminator 2, which is 31 years old. Wow, 1991. It's crazy. And you look at the cinematography that still holds up today and the computer graphic imaging that still holds up today as well. It's not it's not like corny, but it's not overdone. You know, and that film is just masterful. I think it's the perfect action film. It makes me feel the same way every time I watch it. I keep thinking that John Connor might get caught by the T-1000 robot. I mean, it's such a great piece of film. I even studied the I did a, a paper on Adam Greenberg, the cinematographer for that film, and learned that he was an Israeli uh, soldier who did photography in when he was a soldier and you know he was a daring cinematographer so yeah i i i have a lot of respect for that film um terminator one and two definitely my favorite of the franchise and i would say uh what comes in third in that franchise is the tv show the tv show actually pushed the story a little better than any other franchises ever did and for some reason like they always do, they cancel something that's good, and I don't know why. 
I, you know, I'm not in the, I didn't, I don't know. They just canceled the show. It was written well and I, I liked it. It was the Sarah Connor Chronicles and it was really good with Summer Glaw. And she's a hottie if you don't know her from Firefly or, yeah, Firefly. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then after that, I actually like Dark Fate. Um, even though it doesn't really make sense to the rest of it, it's like, oh, so all of a sudden, it, it was just kind of like weird, but I liked it. It was a good movie by itself. Dark Fate is a good movie. Like if it's if it wasn't part of the genre, it's a good movie. But being part of the genre, it kind of like kind of messes things up. But yeah, James Cameron, uh, Avatar. I'm excited to see uh, parts two and three, even though the 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 plots are like, you know, basic because Avatar essentially I said they I think they pitched it as um, Romeo and Juliet meet Titanic or something like that. Or Pocahontas. Basically, he pitched it with as two big movies merged together, you know, and it was just kind of basic. And I think his whole thing is the visual aspect of it because, you know, he it took him a while to even make Avatar because the technology didn't even exist uh, until, you know, I guess whenever he started, whenever he finally started doing, you know, getting in production for that film. But yeah, now he's in production for Avatar 2 and 3, and I'm excited to see those um, as well. Antoine Fuqua, man, I would say my introduction to him was The Replacements. That was with uh, Replacement Killers. I'm sorry, Replacement Killers. That's totally two different movies. Replace <laughs> The Replacements is that football movie with Keanu Reeves and Orlando Jones. No, The Replacement Killers is... An action film, for some reason, I can only think of one actor on there, and that's uh, uh, Collins. I forgot his name. Collins. He's he's in a lot of movies. He first he's like he has like cornrows in the movie. He was also in One Eight Seven, and and it's been so long since I've seen that movie. I can't even tell you what it's about. Uh, I just know it was an action film that I liked as a kid. And yeah, I also love, 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 love Training Day. Oh my God, that is a classic film. Denzel Washington, Ethan Hawke, Eva Mendez, uh, Terry Crews has a little role in there. You know, when he first started doing things, and this is this is this is uh, <clears throat> this is Denzel's first Oscar as lead as a leading role, not not supporting. I think he won an Oscar supporting on Glory, but this was his first role. Leading, he is a masterful, masterful villain. I don't know if he'll ever do it again, but that was a very good role. He 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 played the hell out of that, you know, and because you know Denzel is the good guy, you know John Q. Uh, remember the Titans, you know, like the you know the the good dude, you know, he, he's a very good 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 guy. Uh, but Anton Fuqua definitely, you know, up there. Um, it's one of my favorite directors. Brooklyn's Finest. Oh, man, a great film. Um, and did he direct Antoine Fisher? No, that was Denzel that directed Antoine Fisher. And it was produced by Antoine Fisher and written by Antoine Fisher. Okay, not weird at all. <laughs> okay, um, Catherine Bigelow. Man, so people sleep not realizing how incredible this woman is. She is the one who won the Oscar for Hurt Locker, but she's also done other films like, I know people don't think of this movie, but uh, Dark, wow, Dark Knight or something like that? I can't believe I forgot the name of the film. It's a vampire flick, and it is, 
I actually really like it, but she is a she has a very good style. I like her style. Uh and she's just a total badass. Uh she was married to James Cameron for a while and from what I understand it, they're still good friends. Uh she's she's an incredible director. If I ever have the chance to work with her, I would be very honored. She is who I want to work with the most out of all of these directors, believe it or not. Believe it or not. I think she's a very good director and I would like to act on one of her films if I could. I don't know if that's me like asking right now. But no, she she's she's a very good director. Uh next one on the list is Tarantino. Um Tarantino, I don't want to sound cliche, but this guy is a beast. I mean, he's just a very good film. You're talking about a dude who loves film. And I'm like obsessed with this dude. Like I even looked and see what are some of his favorite films and I and I watched a majority of them. And some of them I like, some of them I don't like. Uh, I like Battle Royale. Um, I thought it was a great film. It took me a while to get into it because I was just like, because I was just like, I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is like a Tarantino Tarantino type film. Like there was like a cold, like a uh, cold texture to the film and a lot of blood. And it there was just a classicness to it. And I think it. I don't I didn't look it up, but it might have been shot on actual film stock. So I don't know. But there was like a coldness to it that I really, really took a liking to and appreciated, you know, as as a lover of film. So I was like, yeah, this is this is a this is a dope ass movie. So Battle Royale. Uh there is a sequel, however, it is only in uh Korean, I think. Or is it Japanese? I don't remember if it's Japanese or Korean, but the movie was actually banned in South Korea because of how graphic it was. But it's a great film. But yeah, Tarantino is is definitely one of my favorite people, uh, favorite directors. He's another dude I would I would love, love, love to work with. Um, <clears throat> so with him, I uh, I think you know there's a lot of hype when when he has a movie coming out so i'm one of those people like i guess i'm a i'm a hipster at heart like when i when there's a lot of hype behind something i kind of like stray away from it because i don't want to like it because everybody else likes it i want to like it because i genuinely like it so when i heard about once upon a time in hollywood i watched it when the hype was all of that and i was like this is bad garbage and then i gave it another chance i was like you know let me just watch it again and I think I watched it like three more times. And I was like, this is a solid ass, dope ass film. And I just loved the direction that Tarantino took with the fantasy that of how he would like the uh, Manson murders to have gone, which was horribly, horribly bad. Like he didn't succeed at all. And he actually tried to do some of the work himself and not just get other people to do it. So I thought that was a very good, very good take on that. Uh, I love the part where uh, the stunt guy beats Bruce Lee's ass. And I heard that's based on an actual story that some stunt guy actually beat Bruce Lee's ass, which which is cool. <laughs> you know, Bruce Lee was a badass, but like you can't beat everybody up, nigga. Like, come on, man. You know, you're going to get your ass handed to you one of these days, you know, and it took a stunt guy, some dude who had grit and, and you know, but yeah. 
I don't know if that's true, and I just heard it was true. I don't. I haven't looked it up, but yeah, Tarantino. Of course, his use of dialogue is like like second to none. Um, that's what makes me be able to enjoy like nothing going on in a film because the dialogue is so interesting. Like when you look at the Reservoir Dogs, you know they're just talking, and it's just interesting, just the way they're just. You know, and I'm just like, dude, if I could get dialogue like that, that would just be phenomenal. And I'm starting to learn what I like to see in movies. I want to be the filmmaker that I want to see, you know, like when I watch a film, you know, what gets me into things is when the stakes are high. Like and that's a lot of times with Tarantino movies. The stakes are really high. And, you know, look at uh, Inglorious Bastards. Stakes are really high when, you know, he knew who she was. And if you know what I'm talking about, you you know what I'm talking about. But she knew who she was and you just feel that tension and 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 it was just oh my god, just the the subtext in in that film is just insane. And also on top of the cinematography, you know? It was just like wow. You know? Um I would say out of all of the Tarantino films, my least favorite is probably Reservoir Dogs, and I love Reservoir Dogs, and then after that is Django, and Jackie Brown, uh, my all-time favorite Tarantino film, I'd have to say it's Pulp Fiction, you know, definitely Pulp Fiction, there's just something so, uh, I don't know how to describe, oh, I think it's the way the story is done, how they merge, because I think I kind of envy the way he was able to merge four stories into one. And I'd love to be able to do that one day. I think it's it's not easy. It just takes practice, talent, and skill, you know. Um, next on the list is Sergio Leone. He is one of Tarantino's uh, inspiration, you know, and Tarantino takes a lot from him. I mean, a lot of directors take a lot from Sergio Leone. Uh, he is, I think, one of the reasons they used to call them spaghetti westerns because he was the director, but a majority of those films were actually shot in Spain. So I think the crew was Italians, and yeah. So if you if you ever are able to get a copy of like those spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef, um, a lot of the other characters I believe are speaking in spanish and you know it's so it's this adr a lot it's done a lot of adr work on those films uh but that the man with no name series i think everybody should take a chance everybody should look at those film student or not it's just there's something about that movie that makes you feel that you've watched a movie you see, like, you're just like, okay, I've watched the movie. Like, I've been invested. It got my, it has my total energy and attention. It's not just emotional masturbation. I don't know what else to put it as, but some movies are just, they're just, there's no story. There's no plot. There's, there's, it's just, uh, just trying to get you vi- uh, emotionally stimulated. And I'm just like, no, I need a story. That's what we're watching. I need an escape, you know? And so this is it's this that's kind of what this movie these movies do. Uh it's um I think the order is a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more and the good, the bad and the ugly. If you're watching in those orders, they don't 
necessarily go together, but it has the character of the man with no name. And Clint Eastwood is a total badass in this film. Uh, yeah, Sergio Leone. Those are the only uh, films that I've watched him do, but I've studied his film, those films the most. And I think they are masterful with a lot of the shots. And I think a lot of the shots, some of the shots that he used, I think uh, were named because of him. I think I could be wrong. Like the cowboy shot, which is the, the mid shot where you have, it's from like the head, uh, the top of the head down to just below the waist. And they call it a cowboy shot because you can see the gun in the holster. That's that's the reason they call it a cowboy shot. Um, Christopher Nolan. Oh, man, this dude. Um, great director. Uh, my first time, my first movie seeing of his was, I think, his first movie. And that was Memento with Guy Pierce and Joe Pentoliano or whatever. Joe Pentoliano and uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Um, you know, it's about this dude who loses memory or loses his short-term memory and he ends up like tattooing his body just so he can remember shit what a predicament anyways this uh you know is one of nolan's first films and i think it it gives people a good scope as to what to expect from him as a director in his later films because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of psychological uh things in this film and the temperature i don't know how else to describe the feeling but there's a temperature that comes with these films when you watch like a christopher nolan film like you know like his batman is different than than a joel schumacher or uh or uh uh the other guy i can't believe i forgot his name <laughs> you know what i'm talking about the first with michael keaton and and jack nicholson i'm gonna be feel so stupid when i finally remember the director's name but yeah there's like a there's like a like a like a temperature and energy you know when i first saw batman begins i was like wow this is my favorite batman movie and it still is i actually like it more than dark knight uh this is a very unpopular opinion but i find the dark knight bat uh joker very annoying with all these mouth noises and it's just and there's, there's no humanity within him at all. It's just like, dude, you don't want money. You're not afraid of dying. What, like, you know, there, it's like you can't lose. So it's just like annoying. Even if I kill you, it's not like you're going to be scared to die. Like, what's the point? You know, like, I, like you want the villain to suffer, not just physically, but like emotionally, you know, because they put people through so much emotional shit and it's just i didn't see the suffering i really didn't see the suffering in that character and the mouth noises were just too annoying just to i was just like dude this is just fucking stupid and i know i'm probably gonna get a lot of flack and i don't give a shit you know like i batman be, uh uh dark knight's a good movie dark knight begin uh dark knight rises uh you know you know the whole trilogy is good good films but Obviously, that's my least favorite Joker. My favorite Joker um, would probably be between uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Jack Nicholson's. And hell, I even liked uh, uh, what's what's the homeboy name? Jared Leto's Joker a little bit, but yeah, but yeah, Christopher Nolan. There is one film I've been trying to see, but it's it it 
it's like a little too slow for me. Dunkirk. Uh, can you guys let me know what you think about that film? I need to watch it. I know I need to watch it. But I've been trying to, and it's just, I, I just can't get into it, you know? Um, okay, the last dude on the list, David Fincher. Oh, man, this guy. Oh, man, I, I like most of the things he's done. You know, Seven, The Game, Social Network. Uh, I'm trying to think, what else has he done? But he's he's done a lot of films. Most of his stuff he's done, I like. And I like his the texture he has like a close a close temperature or texture to Christopher Nolan but i think he's a little more pristine a little more clean with 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 his direction there's something a little more uh a little more uh done up with fincher than with nolan nolan has a very um and this is not like a negative thing by any means but he has like a very teenager thing towards him and fincher has a more mature uh, palette to his to the way he shoots things i hope this makes sense to you but it's just the only way i can explain what i'm talking about um the movie that i would say i like the most of fincher is the game because the twisted the end came out like literally came out of nowhere i'm like what in the hell and it told you from the beginning you know when you watch the movie the beginning it's like nigga we told you you know and it it it, but you still don't get it so if you haven't seen the game you need to watch the game it's with uh michael douglas sean penn uh, those are people I can remember, but it is a very good film. You know who I think Fincher, man, if they ever do a remake, they should totally have Fincher do Falling Down. I could totally see him doing Falling Down. You know, that just seems like a movie he would totally just like do really good. Oh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. My God. Why? Did, how could I forget that? My goodness. That film. Oh, my God. Y'all need to check that film out. That's based on a novel uh, written by this dude who did it as a hobby, and he sold the rights. I think he sold the rights. However, he passed away before he was able to see the movies, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it's the girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl who uh, caught in the spider web, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, and the girl who played with fire. It's like that's the entire series. The rest of the movies are shot in uh swedish and the so far as i know there's no english dub for it um i tried watching it i can't watch movies with subtitles because i can't see the subtitles and if i were to try to see the subtitles it would be like pausing to read and put my face up close to the screen and that doesn't make any sense so i'm like let me just try to find the English dub. So if anybody knows the English dub to the rest of that series, because I'd really like to see it, please let me know, because those films are incredible. And the other films, I think, are shot by different directors. But yeah, anyways, um, I think it's going to be my time. Thank you so much for joining on my podcast, the first episode of The Real Talk Podcast. Um, <clears throat> let me know what you think in the comments. Please share with other people that, that like film. And uh, hopefully I will be having some guests on uh, soon. 
You can follow me on Twitter at I am Dave Gregory, on Instagram at I am Dave Gregory, and my YouTube at Cordavion Reacts. All right, take care. Deuces.